0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of unboxing the Legend of Korra, a subdivision of the Nature of Avatar. I'm Orion, co-founder of the Nature of Avatar podcast and I'm so excited about this episode. Before we start, I'd just like to warn you that this episode will contain spoilers. While last episode was more about the production of the Legend of Korra, today although I am talking about animation and stuff and kind of just my thoughts on the episode, it will mostly be about uh, some episodes of The Legend of Korra Season 1, which really stand out, really show, um, kind of just Korra's development, um, but yeah, I will have to talk about what happens in the episode. so if you haven't watched The Legend of Korra, I don't think you should listen to this, but I digress, um, enjoy the episode. Today I'm going to talk about Season 1 of The Legend of Korra and some of the milestone episodes within it. First, I'm going to give you a brief overview of Season 1 of The Legend of Korra. Book 1 Air follows 17-year-old Avatar Korra as she journeys from her home in the Southern Water Tribe to Republic city with Master Tenzin and his children Jinora, Ikki and Milo. As Korra masters airbending, she also has to fight Amon and the Equalists, who are non-benders who hate benders. Amon was the ringleader of the Equalists and he used a mysterious power to take bending away from benders. This power was a lot like energy bending which Avatar Aang used in the Hundred Year War against Fire Lord Ozai. In the end, it turned out that Amon was a waterbender himself and he had been used as a tool to get revenge on the Avatar and all the benders. His desire came from the fact that Avatar Aang took away his own father, the crime boss Yacones, bending away, so he wanted to do the same to all the benders. Amon was revealed as a waterbender in front of all his followers, and the Equalist Society disbanded. Amon then joined up uh, with his brother, who he kidnapped earlier in the show. And his brother, who's the Councilman Tarlot, used a Future Industries electrocution glove And as Amon shed a single tear, Tarlok zapped the tear right above the fuel tank. And since water conducts electricity, it blew up the boat they were in, which killed them both. So that was just a very brief summary of season one. Now I'd like to talk about a few of the milestone episodes in very brief detail, as well as talking about what I loved about the episodes, uh, as well as my kind of just first experience with The Legend of Korra. Welcome to Republic City is the first ever episode of The Legend of Korra, the pilot episode. Now, in all shows, the pilot episode is kind of what gets you hooked. Uh, And when I watched Avatar, I found that a big part of why the pilot episode excited me just because of how cool the bending was. In my opinion, episode one of Avatar was not that great in terms of the storyboard, Uh, but because of how cool the bending was, uh, and the animation style and the quality of the show, it was was just amazing. So in the past I watched like Lego Ninjago and wanted something similar but with a better plotline. Avatar just really stood out to me. After watching the Southern Air Temple, which is the second episode of Avatar, I would absolutely love the show, Uh, especially the way it combined Japanese anime with regular Nickelodeon animation. The style was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. With Korra, what stuck out to me when comparing the two was how, although it still held the Avatar value about having anime-style characters, the backgrounds weren't anime and the pictures were sort of too high-quality good graphics for it to be quite the same style. Even though in both shows, all the characters have their anime moments, often they, often that occurs when they're very angry, but in The Legend of Korra, the anime moments occur a lot less than in its predecessor. But anyway, I went off topic. The episode starts in the Southern Water Tribe. I like the way they started in the South, uh, in Avatar and in The Legend of Korra, as it kind of gives a nostalgic feel to it, how it's like the season started in the south in Avatar, and then they kind of continued that for the pilot episode uh, for The Legend of Kara. But, um, it starts when you see some hooded figures walking through the snow towards Tonruk, who's the village chief's house. Kara's parents, including Tonrok, are completely sure that she's the Avatar, and rightly so. 4-year-old Kara shows off her mastery over the elements by smashing through a wall using earthbending and also demonstrating water and fire bending. What I love about this part of the episode is how Kara's boastful personality shows even at age 4. The first line Kara said in the whole of The Legend of Kara, and I quote, was, "I'm the avatar and you got to deal with it." That line was absolutely pitch perfect. Considering this was Avatar Korra, after all. When you, when, when Korra gives her final blast of fire, it fast forwards to Korra at 17 years old. Since she was identified as the Avatar, Korra's bending progressed greatly to the point where she could defeat her firebending masters and even used a circular firebending defense technique, which uh, I absolutely loved. Um, this was something which hadn't really been done that much before, firebending was all about attacking and although there were some defence techniques, uh, this was quite lo- nice as it is it's interesting because in that technique she used sort of, I would say she used waterbending style because it was the same style as waterbending because the enemy blasts at you and then you redirect their energy and put it back at them so i thought that was quite interesting but yeah uh when tenzin's bison so tenzin is ang's son um his bison's called oogie um and it's interesting the story behind oogie because soccer uh, in the promise um talked about how ta- and Katara gave him the Oogies and that's why Tenzin named it that uh, because he said Uncle Sokka called it the Oogies uh, and then he he wanted to call his bison Oogie. So another interesting thing is how the promise was written at the same time as the legend of Korra. So you got the legend of Korra and then the promise. Uh, which is the first continuation comic of Avatar, was written at the same time. So it, I find that some of the things actually fit together really nicely. And I think part of the reason is that they had that kind of post-Avatar book in progress at the same time. Uh, but yeah, sorry, going on a bit off topic there. But, but I guess that is what this episode's for. Basically me going off topic and talking about Avatar. Yeah, so Oh, uh, where was. All oh, right. So so Kara really, really wanted to go back to Air Temple Island to learn airbending with Tenzin, but the White Lotus leader who was looking after her refused to let her go and said that Kara had to stay in the South. As Tenzin later that as Tenzin left later that day, Kara grew determined to go and learn airbending. So she rode her polar bear dog Naga to Republic City. And this is the first time you see Naga. So, while in Avatar The Last Airbender, you've got uh, Aang with his spirit animal, Uppa. In The Legend of Korra, her spirit animal is Naga. And it was, I think it was in uh, one of the the free comic book day short stories, but it's revealed that Korra actually just found Naga in the snow, so that was quite nice how it gave us a background into how uh, you, how, how Korra found Naga. But anyway, um, as soon as Korra arrived, she saw some men promoting Equalist Revolt, which was an anti-bender group. Shortly afterwards, she confronted a gang and ended up being arrested by Lin Beifong, the chief of Metalbending Police, who it turns out was Toph's daughter. So, just gonna pause here. Um, so, since Avatar: The Last Airbender, you've got Avatar: The Last Airbender, where Toph was the only Metalbender. Then you have in The Promise, Toph Beifong, oh. Toff from Avatar, started. This metal bending school called the Beifong Metal Bending Academy. So she trained these three students, Potan, Penga, and the Dark One, who eventually became metal benders. Then her three students went on to teach as well. So in the search, there are references to the school in the Rift. You see the school. Then in Smoke and Shadow and North and South, Toph doesn't appear really. Because I guess she's busy teaching. But in this short comic, uh, Toff Beifong's Metal Bending Academy, it's shown in a lot of detail the metal bending school. Uh, but yeah, I guess the re- she started her school in the promise, but then it's revealed later on in The Legend of Korra that there are a lot of metal benders around. So, there's the entire police force, which is all metal benders. Uh, her two daughters were metal benders. Her other daughter, called Su uh, or Su Yin, uh, is also featured later on in The Legend of Korra, so that's in season three. So, I'll get to that in two weeks' time. So, yeah, so eventually Tenzin lets her stay on Air Temple Island, and the episode ends with Korra really looking forward to her air and training. But, the man on the poster, who they were advertising, was called Amon. And it's, and it's shown at the end of the episode that Amon is making plans. It was, it was quite menacing, actually. It was interesting the way, the kind of style they did it in. But you have that very, very villainous uh, vibes at the very end, because Amon listens to Korra's speech, which she makes when she joins Republic City. And he and the Lieutenant turn the radio off and he states that the Avatar's arrival calls for an acceleration in their plans. So I thought that was interesting. Because they gave a kind of hint as to their plans but it didn't reveal too much so yeah we'll have to wait for a second e- uh, in- for a couple of episodes time so yeah i'll be back after the break to talk about the second episode of the legend of cora a leaf in the wind <laughs> I'm back from the break and I'm ready to talk about our next sort of um, bit of an episode, A Leaf in the Wind. So A Leaf in the Wind is the second episode of The Legend of Korra, I'm not going to talk about the whole episode as it can get quite dry but I'm going to talk about sort of some of the first episode, sorry some of the second episode. Um, so. I think it's very important as it reveals a lot more about Kara's personality than in the pilot, but the main point of the episode is that Kara learns airbending and meets some of her team avatar. So Tenzin tells Kara that the reason it's so hard for her to learn airbending is because it's the opposite of her personality. Which I think is very interesting. Kara is a waterbender by birth, but her personality is much like a firebender. Really, either the hardest element to learn. Should have been either water or fire if we're going by her personality. What I've concluded about Tenzin's statement is that although water's the opposite of to, although water is the opposite to being a firebender, the way she waterbends and earthbends is a lot like the way she firebends. With airbending you need a certain level of spirituality. Uh, when later in the series she unlocks airbending, Kara airbends as if she's firebending, which is not the proper way of airbending. After, after getting really frustrated at nightfall, Korra makes for the pro bending arena. She meets Marco and Bolin, two brothers who fight in the pro bending arena. So, what what is pro bending? So, if you're new to the Legend of Korra, pro bending is kind of like this new sport. So, benders aren't killing each other in wars. Uh, instead, they bend as sport in the arena. So. Uh, you you have two teams, each with a water, earth and firebender. And the teams kind of work together and you have to try and push your opponent out of the ring. So you start uh, in the centre and you have to push them back uh, through these ring, these sort of three... Um, levels and then you gain territory. So each match contains uh, 3 rounds of 3 minutes uh, and the team that's managed to gain the most territory within the time frame wins the round. This means even if 2 players of 1 team have been knocked out, the team can still win if the remaining player manages to gain the most territory by the end of the round. If both sides have not gained any territory, the player with the most, the team with the most players left wins. So, um that's kind of the basics of crowbending. Um but yeah, so after getting angry with Tenzin again, she goes back to the arena and takes the place of Hasuk, the team's waterbender. So Hasuk was a waterbender uh, and he was the one who fought as the waterbender in uh, the Fire Ferrets, which is their team. So um, Kasuk just doesn't turn up for whatever reason, so Korra has to take his place. So at the start, Korra is not that great at pro-bending, but after a while she really learns and she demonstrates some of the airbending techniques which Tenzin was trying to teach her. So when she goes back to Air Temple Island, uh, Korra can. Uh, demonstrates the airbending technique, which I think is quite interesting because Tenzin is very sort of set in stone. He's he has his teaching methods and he sticks to his teaching methods. This shows how Tenzin can learn to change the way he teaches and how he can learn that the the different people learn in different ways. So I think that was very interesting on Tenzin's part, but. Yeah, I think that's all for this episode. Um, moving on to the next episode, The Revelation. So, in The Revelation, Marco and Bolin need to get 30,000 yuan to be allowed to compete in the next pro bending corner. So, Bolin gets Pablo to dance and they try and raise money. Uh, Marco finds a job at a power plant generating lightning. So, yeah, Marco is a lightning vendor. So, then Bolin is bribed by Shady Shin from Triple Threat Triad, uh, and he helps them make some money uh, if Bolin would do a job. So, Marco's worried uh, Bolin is gone, um, so Korra comes with him and helps him find Bolin. Uh, so, Marco just asks a street child uh, if you saw Bolin and the street child says that Bo, that Shin took Bolin uh, to Triple Threat Triad uh, but there's going to be a turf war so like a war between the um, the different triads so when Kor and Marco go to um, the Triple Threat Triad territory uh, they find that the place is absolutely deserted so they continue their search, but an Equalist protester tells them about um, Amon's rally, which is known as the Revelation. So Kor and Marco go to the Revelation, and Amon tells the crowd about his life story and demonstrates his new power by fighting lightning bolt Zolt, the head of the triple threat triad. So Bolin and the rest of the triple Threats were put on the stage as well and Korra used steam from a boiler to make a distraction while Marco rescued Bolin. So then they all escape on Naga and Korra uh, fought uh, off the lieutenant with earthbending but Amon calls off his men saying that the Avatar is the perfect person to tell the world of his plan. So, I'll be back in just a minute to talk about our next episode. Hi, I'm back from the break and I'm ready to talk about um, just a few events from Avoiding in the Night. So, Avoiding the Night is the next episode which we're going to be talking about. So, Okara Okara is uh, awakened by a strange noise, uh, and it turns out that uh, an Equalist Chi blocker is coming into her room, along with his gang, and Amon threatens to take away her bending. But luckily it was just a nightmare, and Kara wakes up in her bed. Although, uh, so, Councilman Tala, Talor, in the City Hall, proposes to the rest of the council that a task force should be made to defeat the Equalists. In order to persuade the other council members, he uses Aang's defeat of the crime boss Co. as an example. Tenzin says that it will only further divide benders and non-benders, although Tenzin objects the other council members vote in favour of the idea. While Cora practices airbending techniques while listening to the radio, the music is interrupted by a message from Anon, Amon sorry, saying that the task force is only proof that vendors want to destroy non back, well, um, Background on Marco's side, um, Marco's hit by a young m- woman on a moped, but she invites him out for dinner and says that she'll take care of Marco's clothes. And here is where we come to the love triangle. So, in The Legend of Korra, a very big part of the whole show is the love triangle. Um, So, you start out with Korra liking Marco, and Marco liking Korra. Then, uh, this new person, Asami, he comes in, and Marco starts liking Asami, not Korra. Uh, And it goes from there. So, every kind of big change I'll tell you uh, uh, ha- what kind of change came uh, and ha- what kind of change happened in the love triangle. Uh, anyway, so Tarloc arrives at Air Temple Island and tries to persuade Korra to join his task force. So after many tries to get her to join, Tarloc is sent out by Tenzin. So, Um, Back with Marco, after their date, Asami offers to let Marco meet her father, called Hiroshi. So her father, who owns a big technology company called Future Industries, offers to sponsor the Fire Ferrets as long as they wear the Future Industry logo on their uniforms. So yeah, back with Korra, in the end, Tarlok sets up a gala in her honor, and after being exposed to various journalists, she finally agrees to join this task force. So Cora goes on a stakeout with the chief of police and her metal vendors and raids an Equalist chi-blocking, chi-blocker training facility, and captures many of the Equalists. Then she challenges Amon to a one-on-one duel. When Amon confronts her, doesn't take her bending away, as he says that she will be the last one. He then knocks her out, and Korra ends up in a traumatic state, thinking that Tenzin was older Aang. Next up is A Voice in the Night. While asleep, Korra is awakened by a strange noise. The Equalist Chi-Blocker comes into the room along with his gang, and Amon threatens to take Korra's bending away. Korra wakes up in her bed, screaming, and realises that it was all a nightmare. In City Hall, Councilman Tarlock proposes to the rest of the council that a task force should be made to defeat the Equalist. In order to persuade the other council members, he uses Aang's defeat of the crime boss Yako as an example Tenzin said that it will only further divide benders and non-benders, although Tenzin objects, sorry, although Tenzin objects, the other council members vote in favour of the idea. While Chora practices airbending technique while listening to the radio, the music is interrupted by a message from Amon, saying that the task force is only proof that the benders want to destroy non-benders. While crossing a road, Marco is hit by a young mom- woman on a moped. She invites him out for dinner and says that she will take care of getting Marco nice clothes. Tarlok arrives at Aitoff Island and says that Airbenders never turn away a hungry guest. Tenzin reluctantly lets him in, and he immediately starts persuading Korra into joining a special task force. Korra refuses, and after many tries to get her to join, Tarlok is sent out by Tenzin. After the date. Asami offers to let Marco meet her father and Hiroshi. Sorry, Asami offers to let Marco meet her father, who is Hiroshi, uh, and he is—he's—he's he's kind of a mechanist, so he does like building and uh, developing. He builds like cars and airships and stuff. So. Her father offers to sponsor the Fire Ferrets as long as the Fire Ferrets wear then wear the, uh, I believe it's called. Um, sorry, i just. Sorry, yeah, it's called Future Industries. Uh, so they have to wear the Future Industries logo on their uniform. In the end, Tarlok sets up a gala in Corazonna and after being exposed to various journalists, she finally agrees to join her, his task force. Along with the chief of police and her metal benders, Kara raids an equalist chi-blocking training facility and captures many of the equalists. She then challenges Amon to a one-on-one duel. When Amon confronts her, he doesn't take her bending away as she, he says that she will be the last one, and, and then he knocks her out episode ends with a very confused Korra, thinking that Tenzin was older act <laughs> next up is and the winner is so that that is an episode uh, and so Essentially, they they were going to hold a very big uh, pro bending match, and the judges paid off. The wolf bats who are opposing the firefarers ferrets don't play by the rules. The wolf bats are announced as the winners, and then the equalists attack. They use electrify, electrified gloves to take out Lin and the other metal vendors. Uh, and as the fire ferrets emerge from the water. The lieutenant electrocutes the water, knocking out Team Avatar. A mom then emerges and takes away the wolf that's bending, saying that they were quite literally just bullies, Uh, and this is how uh, all benders, uh, all blenders, are. Uh, So yeah, so then. Um, when Team Avatar wakes up, they're tied up, and but luckily they see Pabu swimming towards them. Pabu chews through the ropes, but Amon and his followers are already at their airship, which they will use to escape. As Lin tries to get up onto the airship, the lieutenant zaps her with electricity, just as, and just as he's about to finish Lin off, Korra comes to her rescue. After that, the roof caves in and Lin stops trying to fight the Equalist, and instead saves Korra, who's plummeting to her death. Tenzin closes the episode by saying that Republic City is now at war. Next up is the aftermath. So in the aftermath, Marco and Bolin are invited to stay at Asami's mansion. So while they're spending time there, Korra Korra comes as well, um, but she suspects that is involved with the Equalist after hearing him on the phone to them. Her hunch proves to be correct, and they find out that there's an underground base beneath the manor. Lin, Tenzin, Marco, Bolin, and Korra all fight the equalists, Uh, and Asami's father is also there in uh, this big mecha suit. Asami comes at the last minute and stuns her father with an electrifying glove. Now, this was amazing, because until now, Asami had literally been just a person, like she, she, she did not have any really big significance, uh, she'd never done anything like this as far as Team Avatar knew, uh, but as the series progresses, it's revealed that she's trained in hand-to-hand combat. So, on her part, this must have been extremely stressful, uh, considering obviously she'd just zapped her own father with lightning, pretty much. Uh, But yeah, um, we'll talk again after the break. Finally, we have Endgame. Bolin uses earthbending to prevent the planes from taking off, but they're made unconscious by electric fences. Marco and uh, and Korra, disguised as Equalist Chi blockers, claim that Amon's story is fake. The Lieutenant and the Crown are unsettled by the Avatar's claim. As a comeback, Amon says that Korra is just making up stories. Then Amon reveals his scarred face and the fact that he has captured Tenzin and his family. Back at the airfield, Naga breaks the bars of the prison cell and Iroh tries to take down some of the planes. Bolin rides off with Naga while Asami boards board, an empty mech Iro Iroh uses jet propulsion to throw the pilot out of a cockpit and figures out the controls to the aircraft. At the rally, Amon announced that he will rid the world of airbending forever. Marco fires lightning at Amon and, Cori- and Cora and Marco use firebending to land on the stage blasting fire to push Amon back. Korra frees Tendon and he too helps them fight Amon's forces. As the fight continues, Korra releases the three kids and they escape in a backstage corridor. Korra opts to stay behind with Marco and cause a diversion, while Tendon and his kids run in the opposite direction. Korra is pulled from her hiding place and is bloodbent. Marco tries to save her with firebending, but, it, but he too is bloodbent. Kara has Amon takes Kara's bending away. Iroh has been giving chase to the plane and knocking out a few from the sky before being subdued himself. Bolin has made four five of the air, four of the five airstrips unusable by his earth bending, but the mecha tanks attacking with cables. Naga grabs all three in her mouth and flips the mecha tanks over. After her father confronts her, Bolin saves Asami's life by hurling rock that Hiroshi. Asami knocks her father out using electrified wire. Back at the rally, the lieutenants saw Amon bloodbending and confronted him. Amon thanks the man for his service before throwing him into a pile of wood. Wako manages to zap Amon with lightning, which hurls him to the other side of the room. Amon captures up with them again, and he's about to take Marco's bending when Korra managed to airbend at him. Korra then manages to launch an air kick, knocking Amon into the sea and revealing him without his mask or his false scarf. The protesters then realise that everything the avatars told them was true and the society disbanded. Amon frees his brother Tarlok and together they escape. Tenzin's brother Bumi enters the port with his fleet. While, Anne, while Amon escapes with Tarlok in a speedboat, as Amon sheds a single tear, Tarlok blows up the boat. As water conducts, el- conducts el- electricity, and they both die. Back at the Southern Water Tribe, Korra finally manages to contact Ak and he grants her the gift of energy bending, as well as giving her back her own bending. And that just about concludes. And that just about concludes this episode. Remember to leave a like, subscribe, and drop us a comment wherever you listen. I apologise it has been a bit of a long episode, but if you're still listening now at the end, thank you. But yeah, uh, I'll see you in the next episode. Mm, Bye.